I, I'm going to give you guys my, my sob story here. I, we went, so if I start hacking, I apologize, but that's, that's kind of where we are. There's Glenn Swift. Hi, Glenn. Oh, well, we're going to, I think we'll give folks maybe another minute or two to, to log on. Thank you for being here. If anybody wants to break in and ask questions or say something, feel free. I just love this part of the session because we, we get to free ball it and, Oh yeah, so, I see some blasts from the past. So see that. Hey, Kirk, good to hear. Good to see you this morning. So, Kirk, apparently we're neighbors now. Oh, you're still on mute. Just like that, the line of the year, right? Yeah, those 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 famous five words from 2020. <laughs> I think you're on mute. Oh, uh, that is a hoot. Did you see yeah, that? Good to see you. There we go. See you all. And yes, I'm a uh, fellow Tar Heel. Nice. What are you up to these days? Oh, uh, I'm advising uh, three or four um, healthcare IT companies. And uh, let's see, and then teaching for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Plus, I'm building out an uh, operations management uh, curriculum for a brand new uh, master's in healthcare administration at Wake Forest and a couple of other things. So keeping busy, it's all based on Pemba. Hey, so Kirk, when you're, when you're doing your Masters of Healthcare Administration, give them more finance and accounting. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, actually ser I'm actually serious about that. <laughs> oh, I get it. Uh, I get it. It's critical. Everything's got to have an ROI in a business case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, talking to one of our OAPs this uh, this last week. He's talking about how he really wants to make sure that he's insuring. Hey, Chuck. Good morning. Hey, good morning, uh, y'all. Morning. Wanted to make sure that he he wants to ensure the uh, uh, quality of care and that he wants to make sure patient satisfaction is high. And I said, that's good. Keep going. He finally got around to the ROI. So yeah. So now that Chuck is on, um, do I have to delete the pictures of him in this presentation? No. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. That's right. The yeah. only reason we're here. You've got a lot of the current class here today. That's why we're here. Hey, wait a minute. Right. Put, Leon, put the word out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pretend it's pictures of Chuck's younger brother. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Like any picture of me in here. <laughs> I was like, wait, that guy well, has rec much gray hair. I re recently connected with Gioji Thomas, and uh, who's who's got some stuff going just up, uh, across the border in Kentucky, and uh, yeah, and he resent out the picture that he made of uh, like uh, Chuck Norris imposed with my face. It was like, you know, things you want to try to forget. Let me put it that way. Use so yeah, Leon, you got, the, you got the white beard going there, brother. So. Yeah, I, I don't think it was white before I moved to Tennessee. So. Uh, <laughs> neither was my hair, Leon. So, <laughs> so um, Kate, should I get started? Yeah. Yeah, why don't we get started? I, um, I just want to very briefly give a couple comments. 
Perfect. Unless Kate, did you, did, I, I don't know if, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. Um, first of all, we want to thank you for joining us, uh, everybody, and particularly Leon. Uh, Leon was with a class of 2016, which was a great year, actually. It was a very good year. And uh, we had, a, and, and he was actually physician leader of the year that year. So that was kind of neat. He has a distinguished career so far, and he's making it even more distinguished with some of these great work, uh, some of this great work that he's doing in quality improvement. Uh, we had a nice little chat about uh, the uh, area in which he practices, and I hope he enlightens everybody with that, with some of those details, because I think there's a lot of very interesting, a lot of things that are going to resonate with people uh, as they think about what they're doing now and, and uh, where they've come from. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to go into a great deal of, of uh, detail, but he's at the Johnson Health UNC Emergency Department, uh, and they have over 80,000 visits a year. So it's a very busy emergency department. And uh, like many people in the emergency department, he, he tries very hard not to stray upstairs. So he's a very smart guy. <laughs> All right, Leon, you're on, my friend. If, if I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten something, but please feel free to embellish. Sounds good. Thanks, Don. And um, anything, anything good that I say today, it's because of Pemba. Anything that I mess up, it was something else that caused the problem. I, I owe a lot to, to Kate and company, and, and I, I really wouldn't. When people ask me if, if they should do Pemba, um, the answer is always yes, because it was just such a great, uh, experience for me. So one of the things that, that I was able to do because of PEMBA was kind of jump into the frying pan, if you will, of, of managing a large emergency department that wasn't at its, quite at its potential. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, as, so just a little bit of housekeeping, um, I'll keep the chat open. If, uh, if you have any questions along the way, feel free to type it into, uh, into the chat. So this was, this was our class, the, the illustrious class of 2016. Um, Leon, was that the bus that was going to the jail? <laughs> That's the one where you all were, uh, okay. I just, Maybe it should have been. <laughs> so uh, if, if somebody asked, what profession do all of these people have in common? I'm not sure doctor would be the, the first guess, but we had, a, we had a good time and learned a lot. So, um, so this talk is about um, an ED framework and why do we need an ED leadership or ED management framework? It's because, and really as anybody who's even walked through an ER knows, there are almostly, almost infinite numbers of variables that go into running an, an ER. And, and that's why people often call it a chaotic atmosphere. But, um, but even the management side, there's so many people, so many um, different processes, so many goals that, that various stakeholders have. It's really hard to figure out where to even start? And I like at the bottom of this graphic where, where it says ER, good luck. And that's, that's how I felt when I started um, at this hospital in 2018. We were a one-star Medicare hospital at the, at the time. And when, when I got to my office, this piece of paper was on my desk. And if you zoom in, 
you could see that uh, care from doctors and would recommend EV. So this is, this is a, a survey of our patient satisfaction and those ones on the side are first percentile. Um, I did call my, my boss at the time and say, we're number one in patient satisfaction. That's, that's really good, right? He's like, no, no, I think that's first percentile, like 99% of other hospitals are better. So we had, we had a lot of work to do. And, um, and if you looked online, you could get a better sense of uh, where things were. So I'm just gonna read this here. If you have to go to the ER, do not let it be an emergency and set aside plenty of hours in, the, in waiting time. Just rolled in, just rolled 10 and that, oh, geez, I lost my, Uh, can you guys see the visual? I no longer can. Oh, there we go. Sorry, technical difficulty. Um, so I uh, just rolled 10 and a half hours here in the ER waiting room because the staff said the process needed to start over again from triage due to lack of, due to a miscommunication. I found that hard to believe until I read others' reviews mentioning the lack of communication skills from and or amongst the ER staff or just overall lack of focus on patient care. Simply put, if you must go to an emergency room, consider this, a drive to Nashville may be an hour or so, but you may survive or may at least be better off. Godspeed. So clearly we had work to do. So back to this concept of like all these variables and things to do, I had to simplify what I was trying to do to, to, to manage this department. So I went to the textbook and uh, I very quickly realized I couldn't turn 3.8 pounds and 784 pages into a simplified action plan. So I used kind of the, the ED framework to go after this. So in the emergency department, when things get really complex, we think about the ABCs. And that's what I wanted to do with, uh, with managing the department. And the other way to think about this is this Einstein quote, everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. So the simplest or the nicest framework that I was able to find was the Quint Studer, um, and you've probably heard of the Studer group, same, same guy, um, the pillars. But the pillars that they used didn't quite work at the department level. Um, so things like finance and growth didn't really work right. And I'm not sure what service necessarily means in the, in the ER context. So I really wanted to um, build something parallel that worked in the department comp uh, context. And that's where this framework came from. So the, the framework here is, People, Quality, Efficiency, Experience, and Equity, or PQE3. So in order to go through this, I'm gonna talk specifically about um, our experience in 2018 and 2019, and then we can open it up for, for more discussion on how to do PQE3. So on the people side, um, when, when I arrived in July, 2018, um, we had a staffing problem. Uh, we needed 70, sorry, 17 um, emergency department FTE physicians 
to staff the place, but there were only seven on staff at the time. Everybody else was, was, a, was a locum, um, which led to quality, efficiency, equity challenges. A lot of issues come from that. And, uh, and one way to, one, one line that, that came in my head a lot during, during that time was, in the history of the world, no one has ever washed a rented car and we had a lot of renters. So one of the ways that um, uh, that became visible is filling shifts. So when I showed up on Monday morning, my first day, I looked at the schedule and all of the night shifts for the rest of the week, starting the next day, were unfilled. And this is an ER. It's an ER with that that saw about uh, eighty-five thousand uh, patients per uh, per year. And so um, we're not by law. We can't not have a, a vision. Um, so I thought this was going to be like the shortest directorship of all time uh, because I'd be able to last like one day, and then we, we wouldn't fill the shifts, and that would be the end of my the end of my job. So my first, my first big project was fill the shifts and, and fill them as much as possible with dedicated providers. Um, so what we did was first figure out the problem. So the problem was, or one of the key problems was that the local physicians realized that if they could, they could band together and ask for fewer shifts, and then shifts would be open, the company that had to fill the shifts would negotiate with the few or one person available for that shift. And, and as Chuck Noon will tell you, if your BATNA essentially is the entire contract and the other person's BATNA is a good night's sleep, you're in a really bad negotiating position and so uh, the, for the doctors, this was kind of nice. For their spouses, it was terrible. But for them, it was kind of nice because they could get huge bonuses. But for me as a medical director trying to staff the place, it was a real mess. So, uh, so what we did was figure out, okay, how do you change that dynamic? So there are more people vying for, uh, for the shifts and the price of that shift can go down. And so what we came up with was an auction. So the nice thing about an auction is that you can, it, it was open to, uh, to everybody um, and you would get the minimum price required for that, uh, for that shift. And so the way I did it was I would own this, it was like, a, it was a Google form and I would start with, you know, like a hundred bucks or whatever, and then increase the bonus until somebody took the shift. And at the beginning, it took a decent amount of money. And then like within two or three days, I got a phone call saying, hey, Leon, like, what are you doing? I, that was the shift. Like somebody else picked up the shift, but that was supposed to be my shift. I was like, what do you mean that's supposed to be your shift? Like if it was supposed to be your shift, why did you take the shift? He's like, well, we all decided in advance that that was going to be my shift. And so it became very clear that this was kind of a, cartel setup that we had just broken. And so uh, thanks to this shift auction, we were able to, to fill the shifts and I did not have a one day tenure in, uh, in Clarksville. So kind of bigger picture, 
um, the in the short term, our goal was to change from an individual locums um, setup where a lot of the shifts were just kind of one-off locums who really didn't buy into the mission and vision of the group to a group of locums who we knew could uh, could at least buy in, um, even though they were more expensive and, and weren't quite the, what we were looking for on the uh, for local doctors, and then really diligently recruit local physicians. So the way we did that was um, figure out what our target population was, um, so the Nashville market residents, and then really made it clear to everyone how we were gonna do this. Um, we hired a dedicated recruiter to make sure that we found every possible emergency physician who could uh, potentially end up working with us. Um, we treated every recruit as a top priority, took them, took them to dinner, bought them uh, wine from our local Clarksville winery. We pitched the opportunity to build. So that's the nice thing about starting out where we started out um, was you can say with a straight face, you can say, look, anything you're interested in, it needs to be built here. And you can, you can really have an opportunity to develop um, what you're passionate about. And then we want to improve the work environment every day so that when people walk through the department, they saw it as a place they'd want to work. And then we wanted the compensation package to be fair and, uh, and strong. So um, one, of our, one of our big wins was uh, getting Garrick Vandervelt who finished the program last year to, uh, to come back uh, to our department. And uh, within uh, 13 months of our arrival, we had zero locums, not, not even the group. We had 100% local uh, physicians on staff. And, um, uh, and so we no longer had any uh, car renters. We, all had, we were all car owners. So on the quality side, so this is... Um, I would not have been able to do this without, without kind of the PEMBA teaching. And so what we, what we used for our quality improvement was the John Cotter Eight Steps of Change model. I'm gonna go through two examples here. One is the opioid epidemic. So the opioid epidemic in 2018, 2019 was just crushing Northern Tennessee as it was uh, much, of, uh, much of the country, especially in rural areas. So the steps that we took create a sense of urgency. Well, we were, there's only one hospital in the whole county and we were getting three opioid overdoses come to the hospital per day in 2018, just an, a huge number. So the urgency was very much there. We built a guiding coalition. We partnered with hospital pharmacists, social worker, addiction specialists in the community. We then formed a strategic vision so we uh, research best practices um, to how emergency departments should respond in, in, an, in an epidemic like this. And, uh, and so Yale had done some path-breaking research. Cal ASAP had, um, had kind of uh, come up with the benchmark ED processes and, and algorithms. Um, and then we created a local pathway based on all of that information. Um, we enlisted a volunteer army being our providers and our nurses through multimodal staff education. So meetings and emails, um, various kinds of announcements. 
and, uh, and then we removed barriers. So we got buprenorphine added to the formulary, so it was very easy to, to start in the ED. Um, we created our own pathway based on published literature, um, and we set up a dedicated voicemail uh, line. So 24-7, you could just call our addiction specialist, leave a voicemail, say this person came in with an opioid overdose or opioid withdrawal or opioid use disorder, and they would take it from there. They would call the patient, find the patient, and, and help them out. Uh, we generated short-term wins with, with really dramatic patient stories of, of helping people turn their, their life around. We sustained the acceleration by coordinating with the pharmacist to do chart reviews and, and continued kind of continual uh, process improvement and instituted the change by making it part of orientation, part of our website, part of general practice, so that managing opioid use disorder was just an everyday thing that, that we did. So the next, um, the next topic that I wanna go through in, on this Cotter uh, pathway is um, sepsis. So anybody who's worked in the hospital knows that sepsis is uh, a big deal. It's the number one cause of death in the hospital in the country, but we need to create a sense of urgency for each provider. So what we started doing was every sepsis case that got reviewed by our quality department, because it is a, um, a core measure for CMS, we would um, give feedback from that case to the providers. Nobody wants to, to have fallouts or be feel like they're not giving great care to their patients. So this individualized feedback really got people's attention. We built a guiding coalition, kind of the same as before. So partnered with nursing, quality, inpatient leaders, formed the strategic vision through um, uh, researching best practices. And then same thing with the multimodal staff education. The barriers we were removing uh, so sepsis is really complicated. So tailoring, tailoring the EMR to make sure that the right information was getting to providers at the right time. So uh, code sepsis uh, being called through the, through the EMR, vital signs showing up in the right way, really made it easier to succeed. And then we created a pink sepsis checklist so that every ED provider and every nurse knew exactly what to do um, for which patient. So we generated short-term wins by rapidly increasing uh, SEP1, the core measure scores, as well as being able to share individualized sepsis performance with the group. So we could show that both at the group level and the individual level, people were getting better at sepsis and it became something to be proud of. Um, and then the part of instituting change uh, so it was part of orientation, internal website, general practice, same as, as the opioids. So basically we, we had a, a, a vision for how we were gonna do the change and then just went step-by-step step with that, which made it much easier to implement these, these big quality improvement projects. Um, and we went from kind of lowest quartile um, on sepsis in 2017, um, improvement in 2018, 2019, we were well above the state and national average on, on sepsis, which translates to um, a lot of lives saved. Efficiency. So this, um, this is kind of the, the, the 
Chuck Noon, Jody Crane territory that that we were that we were playing in. So uh, just as a reminder, we, we were seeing at the time um, 80, 85,000 patients per year. So it was a big, uh, big ER. And our um, before times metrics were just not good. So the pink line is uh, is average uh, average length of stay. Um, and then the on the left side here, you can see that on average, the median uh, discharge length of stay for our discharge patients was around two hundred minutes. So more than more than three hours for uh, discharge patients on average, which is not good for for an emergency department. And we were able to decrease that by um, forty to fifty minutes over time. Uh, same with our uh, door to uh, to doctor times really drove those down and kept those consistent. Same with left without being seen. Um, to have a large ED with left without being seen consistently lower than one in 200 patients or less than 0.5% um, was really a, an amazing accomplishment. So how did we do it, right? So, so we did it, but how did we do it? We, we did it because of Jody Crane and, and Chuck Noon. So one of the best examples um, of that was a sprint that we set up early on in this process. So we knew that a large percentage of our patients were low to moderate acuity patients. And those were the key um, patients to get out of the emergency department as efficiently as possible. The, the strokes and, and major trauma and, and severe sepsis, you know, that, that's care that's harder to focus on rapidity, but our lower acuity patients, we, that's what the patients want. They want efficiency and that's what we wanted. So we set up a sprint and uh, what we did was have um, LPNs and techs and nurses and, and managers. And we, we found a room in our hospital that had a bunch of whiteboards and basically closed the door and said, we're gonna spend all day in here, forget everything that you that is happening out there. We want you, the, the frontline team, to design care from scratch with the number of patients that we know are coming and the space that, that we have to see them. And so we, we did that. We essentially went patient type by patient type, different time of day by different time of day and created the ideal process. And what we, what we ended up with was uh, two different vertical zones. We had a vertical three zone. So for patients with things like headaches and kidney stones, they had their own, their own space, dedicated space. Um, we had the very low acuity zone that we called the super tract um, that was essentially the triage. So we saw them in triage and then didn't even have them come back through the door of the emergency department. The triage rooms had a back door and they would, the patients would just kind of go into a, a waiting room area and then get discharged from there. And that, that concept of getting um, the, uh, getting the frontline team to design the care 
worked incredibly well. The other thing that worked very, very well was demand capacity matching our schedule, our provider schedule. Uh, not too surprisingly, we turned to these guys. But we also realized that um, the, we had to, to use the best evidence to figure out how many patients a provider would pick up at the beginning of the shift versus the end of the shift and ended up with a model that uh, changed the before times. And you could see there were many hours with really dramatic demand capacity mismatch, which led to inefficiency into a model that was much better matched over time. And, and we, we do have the constraints of you know, certain length shifts. Even within that, if you look at, at each of the red and blue bars, which correspond to the arrivals or provider uh, pickups per hour, you can see every time there's an imbalance one way, we made sure to bounce it in the, in the other direction. And so we were essentially always ready for the number of patients that, uh, that were coming into the CMS. Experience. So again, uh, we were first percentile when we got there and we needed a plan. So um, this, is, this is our uh, results. So you can see, um, kind of starting with the end here, you can see that our um, Google, sorry, these are social media reviews of Google uh, and Yelp was what the community was using. Our reviews went way up over uh, over the, the uh, over that year, year and a half. So how do we do it? We did it through a data-driven uh, improvement process. Um, the hospital did not survey discharges, so we got approval to survey our own to to set up our own text-based survey. So every discharge patient got a text the next day with our HIPAA compliant um, survey. And the survey was very simple, just uh, who was your doctor? How satisfied were you with your care? How likely are you recommend, to recommend the emergency department in general? And then an open-ended, what was the main reason uh, for your ratings and any special recognition? Uh, this is a reminder that you, you can't manage what you don't measure. And so the so we got all this data. Now, what do you do with that? Well, one of the things that we did was set up a coaching system. So we knew who was doing well and who wasn't doing well with patient satisfaction. And we knew that everybody wanted to do well. Everybody wants to feel good about their interactions with patients and uh, didn't want to be on the wrong side of that. So we paired our really high patient satisfaction um, team members with those who weren't doing well, and it became kind of a team building process that worked very well. Equity. So I really like the term equity because it means two things. It means being fair and impartial, or it means this, you know, number two, the value of shares issued by a company. So financial stability. Um, no margin, no mission is what I was taught at Pemba. So one example in this year was um, we were, um, we wanted to set up our finances in a way that we could attract and recruit um, the best possible uh, physicians and APPs. And so we had a, a day where uh, we, 
we did what we called the, the whiskey table. So everybody brought their favorite whiskey. We went to somebody's house and went to one of the, the ER doctor's house. And our mission that day was to, to come up as a team with how we were going to do uh, our um, uh, finance, how we do pay within the group, because we were a democratic group. And what was decided was that the, the pillars for our compensation were going to be that, there, that it was fair, market-driven, and transparent. There wouldn't be any back deals. Um, everybody would know what everybody was making, and they would know why they were making that amount. So what we set up was uh, a dashboard. And each of these elements, uh, based on efficiency outcomes, um, quality outcomes, experience outcomes, uh, would go into people's, uh, people's pay. And everybody would know um, how much each other person was making. And people were OK with that. They actually liked that system because it seemed fair. Or it was fair. So the results. Um, so we got to full staffing with dedicated um, providers, no locums by the end, um, quality. So we were top quartile sepsis scorers, really did a great job on the opioid front, became a, a, a stroke center. Um, on the efficiency side, we decreased our median length of stay for discharges by 49 minutes, which is just an incredible amount, um, and dropped our uh, left without being seen to well under 1%. Um, our experience, we were able to double our online reviews, um, which uh, the hospital C-suite was, was very uh, proud of. And then on the equity side, we designed this fair market-driven transparent physician pay structure. And what that allowed us to do was keep our full-time staff decrease locums, balance the books. We ended up doing very well financially because of that. Um, and so both sides of the equity uh, piece were, um, were taken care of. And just kind of big picture here. So how do you turn this framework into action? It can be a kind of every level of the, the leadership and management structure. So strategic planning, department meetings, staff communication, dashboards, provider evaluations, we broke them all down into people, quality, efficiency, experience, and equity. So then what, right? Why, why am I talking about this in the past tense? Well, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and that's uh, a boxing term. So, um, so what happened was our hospital system was a for-profit system. Uh, they got uh, an offer from another uh, contract management group, and they did a deal with that contract management group to staff all of their ERs. And so our democratic group, despite these amazing outcomes that we were able to deliver, we, we couldn't do it at the, at the price that, that um, the other group was gonna do it. So it was time for me to, to move along, which was actually uh, personally, a great thing because I got to go back home to North Carolina where I'm now the emergency department medical director at uh, Johnson Health UNC. And uh, I've been um, here since the beginning of 2020 and implementing the PQE3 model um, here at Johnson Health. 
So uh, thanks so much for, for listening. Thanks so much for um, all that Pemba has, has done for me. And, um, uh, and I'm happy to answer uh, any questions that you guys have. Hey, Leon, this is Chuck. Hey, uh, one quick question that is, as you, you know, ushered in uh, the changes and, and everything, you know, were there any casualties among the, the, the provider group? In other words, did everybody make the transition or was it, were there people that just said, hey, I'm checking out and, and went on their way? Fair question. Well, so I love, I love that, that question. Love, love, love the question. So uh, we did not have any voluntary uh, exits. We only had involuntary exits. So um, there are very few, there, our regional, um, the other options for people to, to work in EDs in the area, they were not set up with um, a system like this. And so it, once people started working with us, it was not hard to retain them. The we folks who were mad were the, so if, if a, so we had, we had one physician who was at the bottom of every metric and we had to, to let him go. And what was interesting is that letting go of people who are holding back others who, are, who want to succeed actually increased the morale of everybody else. Leon, this is Don. Uh, great. I really enjoyed that presentation. And it's good to see you applying all these principles and, you know, that you learn. Um, one of the things I, I am very much into, and this is one of the things that we try to incorporate into the Baldridge discussions we have, is innovation. And I got to tell you, I mean, I've worked in ERs over the years, and, and I've never seen anything like the, the auction where did you come up with that? I mean, that is so cool. It's such a great idea, and it solved the problem. It it didn't. It's not something you had to continue, is it? I mean, it's it solved the problem, and then it was behind you. So one of the funny things that you, sometimes you have to like step back to see what <coughs> so the effects of something. So if you look at the at the top of that that screenshot of the auction, I think it was like 148 responses right so and there's only one response per shift so we auctioned off 148 shifts during during that that year so we had a huge hole that we had to to fill and you could i should actually graph it the the bonus required to fill a shift went down 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 and so the the way we came up with it um was first realizing the negotiating dynamic, right? So that there's this like terrible baton on one side, there's this great baton on the other side, and we had to we had to to tilt the scales. And then I was actually reading a book about Google, <coughs> and so the way Google, at least Google, the search engine makes its money is by auctioning off its 
uh, search terms. And so I was like, huh, like, this is like the perfect auction dynamic where we want everybody on the provider side to see the same thing and be competing with each other. And we wanted to find the minimum price to get one of those people to bid or buy into that, that thing. And once we did it, it was, it worked great. I'm, I am blown away. I mean, I, I think that was brilliant. I, I hope someday you put that into a, a printed article because that's, that has some real, I, I think it's got great potential to, to tell you the truth for solving a lot of problems that we deal with in healthcare. And can I, I'm, I'm going to take the privilege of asking one more question, and that is the, the dashboard. I have done dashboards many times over the years. Yeah. And here, I'll show you the arrow, arrow wounds back here. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are knives, yeah. not just arrows. Yeah. Um, how, tell me if you could go through a little bit about how you introduced it, what kinds of issues you dealt with and how you overcame those issues. I, I, I may go back to work full time, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, so, so there is a fear of uh, transparency in, yes. in healthcare that, you know, most of us grew up doing something competitive, you know, some sport or even like music competitions. There's no like, fear of who's going to win the chess match. Like, oh, you can't tell anybody whether you won the chess match or not. Like, they're, they're, that, that, that doesn't exist in the competitive world, but it does in, uh, in healthcare. And so the dynamic when, when I got there, especially with, these, with the locums, was that the, the local providers were always pissed off at the locums because the locums were making more money and they were seeing less patients. And so, so we were able to kind of flip that dynamic to say, okay, we're just, you feel that way and it's true. And so we're just gonna show it all. We're gonna show all of what you're doing. We're gonna show that, that you're doing great on, you know, presumably you're doing great on efficiencies because you keep talking about how the, these other guys don't see enough patients. Well, let's just put that out there. And so using that dynamic of the local doctors being mad at the at the locums allowed us to you, essentially make it a group decision to make everything unblinded. And once it was unblinded, it was just kind of in the water. Yeah. Well, I, again, that's one of the big challenges I think for any physician leader is the transparency issue and trying to get other get get our colleagues and our peers to buy into it. It's it's not an easy thing to do, and I'm I'm glad you survived. I'm just happy that you're <laughs> it's it's a band-aid thing. Like once you rip off the band-aid, it really isn't that bad. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so there's a question. Did you revamp your compensation gonna... uh, to primarily productivity based? Yeah, so so this it's a great question. I love this question. So uh, we wanted um, uh, we had a few principles that that we wanted with our compensation. We want it to be you know, fair, market-based, market, market based and transparent. And in order for it to be market-based, we had to ensure people that even if they weren't at the top, right, like it's a, it's a bell curve within the group, that as long as they were doing 
fine, they would get compensated um, fairly and, and compensated well. And so the way we set that up was um, start with the middle. So one of the things that we realized was some of the groups had like a base pay and then a bonus on top of that. And then people would say, oh, I'm making you know, X number of dollars, but I get a certain amount as a bonus. And so what we realized was people kind of uh, glom on to, the, to the, the base pay as their real pay. And, uh, and so we wanted the, the number that people talked about when they went to, to drinks in Nashville or whatever to be high enough to recruit and retain. So we used the, the middle number. We used the average number, which actually helped us because we could budget off the average number. It's the only thing that, that really matters from a budgeting perspective. So we told people on average, our group would, would make X number of dollars. And then we discussed as a group how much you wanted to be at risk, plus and minus. And it wasn't a huge amount. Um, what we realized is that the, the dollar equivalent of pride in work was more powerful than the dollar equivalent of the dollar. And so we actually, so people didn't really want there to be a huge amount at risk, just enough to feel like their hard work was being rewarded. Um, so there's another one here. Did you feel time efficiencies or compensation factors were more important to changing patient satisfaction scores? So uh, yes, this is great. So uh, as, as Jody or Chuck will tell you, the biggest factor in patient satisfaction in the emergency department is efficiency. Um, and so no question, no matter how much we were able to coach or inspire the interaction between people and, and their, uh, between providers and the patients, if the patients waited too long, we weren't gonna get good scores. Um, the, the parallel that I liked using was if I go to Starbucks and even if they, they made like the perfect lattes, just perfect, if I had to wait for 45 minutes to get a freaking latte, I'm not giving them five stars for that latte. So uh, yeah, efficiency was the most important thing. It, this is David Ball. I'm a ER director down in uh, Florida. Did you incorporate any of your quality or um, customer service metrics into your compensation model or, or bonus model at all? Yes. So yes, 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 very much so. So um, we had a conversion factor. So, um, and it was kind of changeable over time based on what the group wanted, but um, our survey results were, were in there. Um, and the quality side, um, the only quality piece that we were able to make objective enough to include was sepsis um, because sepsis is, uh, it was being reviewed by each one of the cases being reviewed by the quality department. So sepsis was, was in there as well. And our uh, hospital for, you know, hospital leadership um, has their kind of wishes of the moment. Their wish of the moment for, for 2019 was um, uh, AMAs. They wanted us to decrease AMAs. So we put, we had a conversion factor and a small amount of money uh, related to decreasing AMAs.
One, one other question about compensation. Uh, compensation is very complicated for physicians. It shouldn't be, but it is. And um, do you do physician satisfaction surveys with regard to compensation, work environment, things like that, get feedback from them, or is it just uh, interpersonal relationships? It was a small enough group, um, so, and they both were enough group that <laughs> it, did not, it, it, it did not seem necessary. Um, we, that's one of the great things about working in the, in the ER is, uh, at a single site, um, the when things were not to people's likings, we knew about them very quickly. <laughs> I, I, you're such a diplomat. Have you considered? <laughs> They're going to rag you if, you if you screw up. So, David, I had one more question uh, around that. So, you brought in a lot of full-time people. Did you have different, and you were a Democratic group at that time, did you have different classes where some employed physicians were, was it all partner? Was it day one partnership? What, what was y'all's structure? Yeah, so, so we were uh, part of VEP healthcare, um, but VEP is, a, it's a Democratic group that's very hands-off um, when, when they trust, you know, when the local group is builds trust with kind of the mothership. So we, we basically had a, a budget. We, we, they were gonna take X amount for administrative stuff that the, the, the company needed and, and the rest was gonna be divided within, um, uh, within the group. VEP has, has a very nice partnership structure um, within the, the company. I'm not sure I'm allowed to go into too much detail about that, um, but it ends up so that anybody who works a, even, I think it's like four weeks, like four weeks into your tenure, you can essentially buy in to be, uh, to have shares in the company. Uh, did I hear you say, <laughs> Chuck, did I hear you say you implemented whiskey shift huddles? So, the <laughs> so this actually was the, the whiskey thing w worked amazingly well. It was very, very Tennessee, I guess. Um, you know, the, the key with getting everybody around the table and a little bit of social lubricant, it allowed people to say what was on their minds, right? Like, I didn't realize just how pissed off people were about the locums doctors making more than them and not working as hard. And so we were able to, once we kind of knew what, what made people pissed off is that we were able to build a, a, around that. And we couldn't have done it without everybody feeling like they were literally at the table. I, I'm not sure if whiskey is a lubricant or a solvent. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kate's comment. It's a t-shirt begging to be made. I, that would be a great t-shirt, I gotta tell you. All right. Any other questions or thoughts of anybody? Uh, Leon, I can't thank you enough. Some great innovative ideas here. And I really, really appreciate you bringing them to our attention. And uh, of course, one of the things, uh, I'm hoping that uh, folks can reach out and contact you if they wanna you know, uh, uh, dig into these uh, more deeply. Um, and I will make sure that your email address, if that's okay with you, is available to folks. 
Um, and folks, I, I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, my hope is that you've all gained as much as I have from this because this has been a great presentation. And uh, Chuck and Jody deserve a lot of credit for what what uh, <clears throat> they've brought to the to the uh, Pemba program. We really appreciate all that. So with that, folks, go ahead, Leon. One, one more thing. So so yeah. I feel like I've given Kirk short shrift here. So. Uh, Kirk Jensen has been has spoken in many of the of the places that I've uh, that I've learned this stuff from. So Kirk, I you know, I've read your books and, and love what you do. So don't I don't want to make make there be rivalry in the ED operations world. You're, you're no, <clears throat> thank Here's you. Here's a so pat much. on the back, Kirk. I'm, I'm happy to be <laughs> sitting in the background. <laughs> <laughs> a good QI guy, you can tell that. All right. Well, Leon, thank you again. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. And hope. And uh, I think there's a recording that will be available. Everybody will have a chance to uh, take a look at this again. So, again, Leon, we appreciate your time and, and uh, all the work that you're doing. Leon, we're going to send you some orange to wear in your sea of blue. <laughs> all right. Don't forget us. I still have my, my Tennessee socks. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye-bye, everybody. Hello. All right, Thank bye you. all.